Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from iLikeYou.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at iLikeYou.com. Now, let's get started. week of our lockdown but I have a sneaking suspicion we will know otherwise and probably be extended but hey how about our Jets congratulations to the Winnipeg Jets a four-game sweep over Edmonton congratulations boys you shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl and that in itself is a feat not to be shamed not to be uh uh, oh, uh, well, to be so proud of. Sorry, I just got so excited. The game went into, I think, triple overtime. Is that correct? I think. Yes, I get a nod. Yes. So anyways, we can all breathe a sigh of relief. And uh, hey, look forward to the next series. All right, let's open the doors, though, to all of our guests. We're going to have a really important conversation. Uh, you know, hello, Cynthia. Hello, hello Robin. And... Welcome, Claire. Hi. Just, you might have to unmute yourselves. So welcome to the Hue Virtual Chat, Claire. It's so nice to meet you. And I believe, yes, your good friend Clayton is here. Hello, Clayton. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Yes. Okay, I hope you don't mind uh, being uh, a little outnumbered here. But um, anyways, (laughs) Clayton, I want to get right down to it. Oh, but before... Uh, Cynthia, I don't know if you heard the news, but our fabulous Jets won four games straight over Edmonton. Yes, yes, yes. It was a bit of a long game last night, triple overtime. How, hello, Linda. We're just talking about the Jets. You know, at least we can talk about something positive through all of this. And you know what? I, I think the boys really, really missed having fans there because they all said, you know, for that arena to be packed, on that game four, uh, wow, can't imagine. But I'm sure once we can all celebrate and be together, there'll be a celebration. But I want everybody to meet Claire, Claire Therese. Uh, she's our special guest today. And you know, Claire, I really wanted to uh, talk about, and you know what, learn more about um, you know the vulnerable and the people that have you know suffered so much throughout this pandemic that uh, really. Um, you know, it's. I think things are really going to be very, very different coming out of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, there's just uh, so much turmoil and everything that's going on. So I'm going to let you t- share your story on what you do in the Point Douglas area. It's fascinating. Thank you so much for having me. And um, thank you to Clayton also for connecting us. I didn't realize I was the special guest today. I'm so excited to be here with everyone. Um, Yeah, so I I work in in community. I work in the Point Douglas neighborhood, and I live in the central neighborhood. Um, So yeah, this is, I actually work at a community health clinic, and prior to this, I never worked in healthcare. So this was pretty huge. I started working in healthcare and a pandemic hit. So it's been a pretty extraordinary thing to experience. Um, I had to learn what things like PPE stood for and how to take it on and off. And um, so yeah, my my role has largely been around, um, I'm, I'm the community engagement coordinator at my workplace. Uh, And my role is largely around volunteer services and really supporting programs within the clinic um, in engaging with community and being able to connect with community. So obviously my role drastically (laughs) changed when the pandemic hit. 
Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's obviously been a, a really uh, hard, hard time for everybody, but we know that there are those that are experiencing this pandemic um, in a completely different way. So uh, even as far as things like being told to stay at home, and we know that that is, uh, is not actually um, possible for those that are unhoused or have precarious housing mm -hmm. or um, have situations where their housing is not safe. So we know that even that, uh, that thing that we're all told uh, is not possible for everyone. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, uh, sorry, I feel like I, I, I might rant here a little bit. Uh, <laughs> do you want me to start with anything specific? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess maybe like, you know, I, the, thing, the things that are very critical to uh, these communities right now, what would they be? And what have you sort of seen like throughout these past almost year and a half now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think like overwhelmingly we are, we, we have been focused on a very, um, on physical safety, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we, how do we keep each other safe um, from COVID-19? Um, and that means, um, you know, m making sure that we're not uh, close together, that we're not gathering, that we're wearing face masks, that we're practicing good hand sanitation, all of those things. Um, and uh, of course, um, those things as well are not possible for everyone. So I think what we're witnessing is that there are so many community organizations that are doing extraordinarily innovative work right now. Um, having to keep all of those guidelines and restrictions in mind. Um, and so what we're seeing is that people, um, on one hand, we're trying to keep people physically safe, but um, what so many people have lost are access to resources and services that they rely on. Um, that Those might be services that are there for their, their mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, for their emotional well-being, for their spiritual well-being, and also all those things um, that also go along with physical health, like access to food. So, uh, you know, a lot of community organizations for people, that's where they access their food for, for the day, for the week. Um, so we're seeing a lot of like closures or um, kind of restricted access to services for people um, you know, the, there were people who were already vulnerable um, uh, prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so uh, these people who were vulnerable prior to the pandemic continue to be vulnerable during the pandemic, even, even more so. And what I'm not seeing is any sort of plan for what, what's going to happen once the pandemic does, once we have control kind of over this pandemic. So what's going to happen um, once we're kind of uh, able to start gathering again? I think that we're going to find that um, this a light has been shone on on these inequities um, in our city, in our province, globally. Uh, there's been a huge light that's been shone on these inequities, and they're continuing. That gap is continuing to grow. And I'm so worried that the right things, the right supports, the right resources are not going to be available to people post-pandemic. Yeah. So we're not really hearing a plan for how are we going to grieve communally? I think all of us, I, I mean, like, there's just been global grief. <laughs> people have lost loved ones. People have not been able to gather. People are not able to access things like ceremony. Um, so what happens post-pandemic? And um, I, I feel very worried about this, especially kind of under our current government, that there hasn't been a plan. There hasn't been a plan <laughs> at all, but um, definitely we're not seeing any sort of plan for what happens after. How are we going to take care of each other um, once we are able to gather together and to be together? Because we know that's that's so good for us, right? That's so good for our for all aspects of our well-being. Wow, um, and quickly too, Claire, uh, I wanted to talk about too. You had kind of a, another kind of section that you looked after look after during this pandemic. It's the harm reduction supplies. So I think yeah, let's 
talk about that too because that is critical and where is that going to go right post pandemic too yeah so i mean part of working at a community health clinic is like my my relationship to and my understanding of harm reduction has just expanded in a really huge way and i feel very grateful for that so one thing that we were um, able to continue, a service that we were able to continue and, and, and that we actually advocated for as essential, and it was made essential, um, was the distribution of harm reduction. So the harm reduction that we offer, um, we offer clean needle kits um, and everything that go, goes in that. Um, we offer clean craft kits and we offer safer supply kits. Um, in addition to that, uh, when masks were mandated, uh, we realized that there was a whole load of our community members that didn't have access to, to masks. So we put a call out to the community and asked for um, people to volunteer. Again, it could, here, here's a, a shift in, in my role. Uh, we had a bunch of remote volunteers who sewed reusable masks for our community members and we received over 1500 handmade hand-sewn masks so that became part of our harm reduction as well so um yeah we uh we we have parallel pandemics that are happening in our city and in our province right now and we are seeing an increase in um overdoses um, we're seeing an increase in people not having, um, you know, access to, to clean drugs um, and to testing. So being able to offer people um, clean, clean supplies um, is a way to re reduce a number of health factors. And I was uh, really, really excited and pleased that we were able to advocate for that and, and make it essential, make it something that wasn't going to be kind of taken away or we weren't going to have people redeployed from that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we continue to offer that, that service. And, um, you know, I, you and I had just kind of like briefly talked about harm reduction and I mean, we've been talking about things like safe consumption sites for a long time, and that has to happen. Mm -hmm. um, we are we are losing community members at such a high rate, and um, to not acknowledge this as an epidemic, to not acknowledge that people are dying um, in our community is is a real tragedy. Um, there's there's excellent research there's best practices out there that show that safe consumption sites can reduce these deaths and we see that in east vancouver um so yeah getting movement on that like that's something that is so important yeah all right so a lot a lot thank you so much claire therese i mean it's i yeah i'm we're gonna get back to it because i mean i you know point douglas is one of many communities right that we really need to kind of reach out our arms and, and help, I think. But uh, I'm gonna actually go to Cynthia. Cynthia, what is it like in your, in your town, Chesham in England? I, I mean, you'd, like you said, England is probably about 10 or 15 years ahead of us, but what is the yeah. situation like? Uh, I mean, specific to that, they, they use the term rough, rough sleepers instead of homeless here. Um, and I mean, honestly, in the town, like I said, we're a little over an hour outside of London in UK, um, and by train, uh, driving it's longer. And you know what? I think there's two or three rough sleepers in the entire town. Um, so, you know, I've seen the town, you know, provide supports, et cetera, but right in the center of town, like you walk into the center of town, the first thing that you see is the food bank. It's it's right there. Like it's you got kind of financial banks on either side, and you've got the food bank dead center. Um, and it's really representative of the community here. Now I haven't gotten involved in the activism within the community here, and of course we're dealing with you know communities of colonizers for the most part who. Um, you know, this this is kind of their point of origin. And the realization that, you know, 
the challenges that they see and that they deal with are, you know, very different. So from my perspective, it has been almost as a settler coming into this space and trying to figure it out um, and then be able to figure out kind of the other elements of my identity within that space. Um, yeah. So that's about the extent of the experience I've had from a social perspective. Very different than my experience when I was in Winnipeg. Yeah. Wow. Robin? Mental health, I guess, is a big, huge issue, right? Um, I'm so probably not the person to ask today. <laughs> I, um, I live a very privileged life, living here alone having my own business, talking mental health. So, you know, realistically through this pandemic, I probably had it easier than many people. And right now my mental health is not great. Like, I'll be honest, I'm putting stuff up on the Robin Priest, like Facebook page, like doing, hey, think about this for mental health, think about because that's the way I'm surviving. And I think, you know, I talk to lots of people who don't have the privileges that I have. Like, and sometimes I think they're doing better than me. And this sounds silly, but they've been dealing with adversity and uncertainty and just having to go with the flow for so long, um, many people and, um, you know, people telling others what to do and and all of a sudden I, I think this shoe's on the other foot. And I I just think, as, as weird as this may sound, people who have lived with adversity, other people we can chat to in terms of like just being able to hear their experiences and what they go through and how they go through it and like because their resilience is something that I don't think not that we should be tapping into their resilience for like answers but but I think we we have the ability to be on a journey together, although it looks different. Um, and I I love what Claire was saying about like safe consumption sites, safe needles. I put something in the chat about when are we ever going to do safe self harm kits? Like people like like if I think about often you say self harm, everyone's like whoo cutting. Well, when are we going to offer safe like safe kits to do that instead people are still doing it as this dirty secret and I've seen places that have put things like that in place harm reduction stuff self-harm like rooms in services and things like that have seen it drop because it's not this oh my god we're gonna like freak out if you do something and I I think until we get a government, and I, I'm not gonna say anything about what I think of this current situation and governments dealing with it, because I, I think really it doesn't matter what government's in place, they're all screwed at the moment. They've all made mistakes. Um, and I just, until we have governments that actually listen to the people who are living and breathing in the, on the ground, and uh, yeah, until we listen to that, we stop sitting in our little ivory towers going, let's call it this, let's call it that, let's go on a whim until we're with the workers, with the people on the street hearing it, nothing's gonna change. And, and maybe I'm even more grumpy today because, you know, I'm dealing with my own mental health. So I'm like having to, slap myself occasionally and go, you live this privileged life. And then I'm like, actually stop comparing. Because right now in this moment, like it's a struggle. I'm like, what the hell am I doing in Winnipeg? I could be home at the football in Australia. 
hanging out with my family with no masks, not worried about having a, a heart condition, reading something this morning where six people have died waiting for a heart operation because they can't get in. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little more grumpy than normal. And I want to I wanna say, we, I, yes, we're thanking healthcare workers. And I also want to thank people like Claire's organisation that are in the trenches doing the work as well. And sometimes I don't think they're given the credit. So I think they're the forgotten heroes in this because they're working with people that, you know, are transient, are not sure where their next meal's coming from, not sure where they're going to sleep tonight. And people are out there every day doing it. And so I, I want to give a big shout out to that too. And, and now I'm going to shut up because truth be told, I'm close to tears. Oh, well, you know what? You always talk and it always rings true. Yes, no, no, um, you know, and you're allowed your day. But thank you so much for coming, Robin, because you know what? You always have such great points to make and uh, makes it a little bit clearer on, on where we're, we're heading towards. But I want to say hi to Rana. Good to see you, Rana. So uh, I want you to meet Claire, and, and Clayton will get to you too. So Claire works in Point Douglas and uh, doing some, well, like Robin just said, like she, they're in the trenches and they're doing the work. And uh, like, yeah, we do have a very privileged life. And you're right, Robin. I think, you know, if we could learn more, and we talked about this too, uh, learning from lived experience. Clayton, you know well. Uh, maybe, yeah, Clayton, you can talk more about lived experience and, you, you know, in, in the Indigenous communities and, and what they do. And, um, you know, maybe we can get this ball rolling, right? and start listening to what really needs to happen and help Claire and her organization. Clayton? Great, thank you. Thank you, Tracy, for inviting me half hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be here. And welcome to the other guests. And thank you, Claire, for uh, participating. Yeah, it was, it's an interesting talk. And I just wrote, wrote some things down and just just listen to just about the crisis and and especially with uh, Robin's comments about uh, you know about people not knowing what the people really go through on on uh, on the streets and uh, yeah yeah it, it, it's all, it all, it, when, when she mentioned that it reminded me I have nearly 40 years in government and I've worked in many different departments <clears throat> for the province and Manitoba and it just seemed like uh, especially when I worked in education, I worked in education and, and, and family services also too, but it just seemed like the people that were creating the policies and the programs were people who have never probably ever missed a meal in their lives, that probably have never ever had to, you know, borrow something from somebody just to just to make make it through. And I, I used to I used to bring that up sometimes in meetings and uh, and uh, they never liked hearing reality, and it was kind of disappointing to me because these are the people that the policies for the people who are on social assistance or trying to get off social assistance and get them in, into the workforce and uh, and then meanwhile they have the, the luxury of creating these programs and putting putting uh, mostly young women there through these programs mostly single parents and criticizing them and uh, you know and, 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 and making them feel feel uh, lower than the way they feel already so I used to go to bat for, 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 for a, lot, a lot a lot of young people especially young women that were coming to the system wanting to get off that cycle of, uh, of, of uh, social assistance. So many times uh, I, I wouldn't get invited back to meetings when, you know, when certain, certain people were meeting because they just didn't like what I was saying. So, but that kind of reminds me. And, and I've often felt that, you know, you know and, 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 I, and, I, and I used to say this in government, probably the last 10 years of my service was that, you know, unless you have a brown face around the table, a lot, a lot isn't going to change because how, how do you know what, how we function and what's what's best for us, and especially if you have no lived experience. But I, I find that you know I, I've been in Winnipeg about 45 years now, and 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 you know I've had I've had relatives live on the streets many times, and and I, I think about maybe 35, 40 years ago, Main Street Project was actually like a like a housing place. 
and they actually house people there. And I used to go and visit there usually on Sundays. I used to go and visit my cousins there. And sometimes there'd be three or four of them staying there from the same family, my auntie and four or five of her kids. And, and they used to spend a lot of time there. Then I had a cousin that actually worked there for 26 years. And, and I used to go there and volunteer all the time. And I've often enjoyed, you know, getting into the thick of things and, and uh, because I could relate to the people that I was, I was, I was, you know, I was servicing. And that's one of the things that most people don't understand. And I think because of colonization, our people, our people have been sort of uh, brainwashed or colonized not to say anything about, about their condition until they're just about ready to fall down or commit suicide. And I've often felt that grieving was, was, was always a difficult part in our community because our communities are just trying to survive day by day rather than, you know, month by month or year by year. So I often found that I had a non-native lady from my office. She she became friends with a, with an uncle of mine, Sioux Valley, and uh, and uh, he had passed away. So she went down into the funeral, and she stayed with my auntie for a week after the funeral. And when she came back to the office, she said, you know, she said that I uh, I, I learned so much just 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 staying there. She said, and after after three days after they buried Art, she said that was my uncle. Said there's a suicide in, in the community. And everybody's got back together and planned the next funeral. She said, just like, just like nothing happened, she said. And she said, I found that really, really odd. She said, just like people just knew exactly what to do and, and move forward and buried another person, she said. And and it's just like nobody has a chance to sit down and cry or grieve, she said. We just go on to the next the next issue. So, so yeah, so she said that was a really good learning experience for her. But, uh, but I, 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 I found, I think maybe my interest in, 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 um, working with people with mental illness just started about maybe five or seven years ago. My wife works for New Directions and she was, she works with, uh, she started working with deaf adults. She like, we, we signed in our family and, and, and then she wound up working with adults with, 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 with mental illness. And one night she came home one time and, and I met, I met that client that she worked with. I can't remember her name, a young native girl. And, uh, and she said that we, we went walking down by the fork, she says, and, uh, yeah, and, and at that time, the ice was just breaking up. And then after they they left the forks and got in the bus, this girl said to her, "You know, she, you know, you know, Sharon." She said, um, "Somebody told me I was supposed to push you in the river." She said, "When we were when we were just walking about 20 minutes ago," she said, "But I chose not to." She said, and then and then and that just kind of blew my mind away when she told me that because, you know, just thinking, just imagine if this girl did that, and uh, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't have a wife today. But it, and, and then she said, "Yeah," she said, "It depends on." What kind, you know, what kind of medication they're on, and stuff the medication, and that really kind of got me interested. And I've actually recognized some of my friends in the last maybe five or seven years have either had bipolar, or they've had children, and and, and kind of kind of um, um, after have after giving birth, they, they I forget what they call that, but they go into some kind of depression. So I've seen that in my community just recently. So it kind of kind of in a way, it's kind of nice that. That, that that you know, people, the younger people in my community are starting starting to ask for help now, because for the longest time, um, our community never asked for help, and we just kind of went along and and had people do things for us. So I'm really glad that we have people like uh, like uh, like our guest here that are that are actually people person, and that's what I've always done. I've always I think I've always been a people person, and uh, and 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 I, and I always say I always feel from the heart all the time. But I'm really glad that uh, you know we're doing something. Uh, like this publicly because we got to do something and uh, and my my saying all the time we don't do anything nothing changes thank you well thank you Clayton uh, Linda you're nodding your head <laughs> thank you I so appreciated this conversation thank you Clayton and Claire and Robin Cynthia uh, I would love to know what you know um, you know, I mean, everyone here that I know has a platform on social media. So we have voice that we can use. What, you know, who can we be promoting? Who can we be following? Who can, like, who is doing the work in the community that is advocating to the government uh, that we can be following and promoting? And, you know, I, I find, um, you know, when... I. I like to see my social media as, you know, it is, it, it is my voice. It is a way that I can use my privilege to inform other people of what's going on. And, 
and what we can do. So, you know, I would love to know Claire or Clayton, um, who, who is doing the advocating right now and who can we be promoting in our community? Claire, you wanna answer that? Uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Like just had a conversation with my sister about this, about, um, uh, you know, I, there's so many organizations doing doing frontline work and I think the closer to the grass closer to grassroots the better like I think I think about how different the rollout of this year these 18 months would have been if community had money you know if communities were allowed to make decisions for themselves communities know what their community needs and so the closer we can get it to people the better um, I just, I got to attend a conference, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of last week. I think I will probably, um, mispronounce the, the name, but it was the Kana Weyandida conference, uh, looking after each other, um, a partnership between the University of Manitoba and, um, University College of the North. And it, it was so incredible. These are, these are frontline people doing frontline work in their communities, um, looking at the COVID-19 response through an indigenous lens instead of the colonial Western lens. We know how that's turned out. We, we know who is hurt, uh, who is hurting the most when we use a colonial model to deal with something like a pandemic. So I think it's a really great question. And I think I've been thinking a lot about this, right? Like how, how do we support work that's already being done? And, you know, when the pandemic hit and people were, were taken, some people, some people were taken care of by the federal government, right? The CERB came in. And we saw, we saw all of these groups popping up, right? Mutual aid groups, people saying, I, I live alone, I can go grocery shopping. Where do you need me to drop this off? Like people looked after each other. And that's kind of where I think we need to get our support in is to those people doing the most grassroots work and also to, to indigenous communities, to indigenous organizations because uh, again, yeah, this, this colonial way that we have unrolled, you know, taking care of each other from a colonial model has, has not worked. Um, so I think, you know, I, I look at places like Mama Way, they did an incredible job doing community vaccinations. We know that our province hasn't done a great job with, with vaccinating people, but there are, there's people right here in the community that are vaccinating community members. Um, looking at Main Street Project, who was able to set up alternative isolation units for unhoused people. How, where do you go if you're waiting on your COVID test? Nobody thought about that. <laughs> and so you see these like these organizations that are very close to the ground and they are doing they are doing the work that, um, you know, that that actually does make a meaningful difference in people's lives. Wow. Thanks so much. All right, Robin, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I just, I, I want to say, I put it in the chat, right, but I was on a call with, um, I, I was on a conference for a couple of days with Australia um, last week talking about some stuff. And one of the things I want to say is we keep having these documents. We keep having this research. We have these pretty reports that say this is what communities want. This is what they say. And we keep having governments ignore them or even services like there's some amazing grassroots ones just making it happen and there's other ones that read this report and go mm, yeah but we know what's needed because we've been working here and I the one of the the phrases that we've always used as people with experience in mental health and talking about peer support is nothing about us without us and I think we have to get louder. It's not nothing about us without us. It's by us, for us, that we actually get a bigger seat. Like, we just set up this new, you know, mental health, like, department, but do we have people from across the province living with mental health families, 
is there an advisory group that's holding that accountable? No. They're just doing what they want. And when you say something, it's like, oh, yeah, but. And I guess today I'm sick of the but. And I think um, there are some amazing innovative practices coming out of grassroots mm -hmm. because it has to. It has to for people to survive. And I just, Linda, if we're going to do anything, and I'm hopeless at social media. I want to be very clear about that. Charlotte is always yelling at me about more. But, like, let's start highlighting the amazingness that's occurring out there, the innovative practices, the we're just going to make it happen in our community and stop talking about, like, those organisations that maybe aren't, like, listening to the people who are using services and I, I think maybe that's where we can do something different. Start saying for us, by us, not someone else deciding what they think it looks like because it's politically good. Now I'll be fine. Sorry. Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate you giving me a platform. <laughs> well, this is what we do. Oh, my goodness. Well, Rana, what are your thoughts? You might, uh, Give us a plan. <laughs> yeah um you know what it's uh, it's actually really nice to see clayton because uh, i know that the, hi it's so good to see you it's nice to hear um it's nice to hear voices in the know right like voices who actually know and clear you as well um just doing all the work and they understand what the actual steps are um you know, I'm not a big fan, and I, I know, you know, I've been in politics, I endeavor to be in politics in the future, and we all kind of know this, um, but I don't believe this is government. Governments will never do anything that does not benefit them or, and I'm going to be really blunt and kind of gross here, or continue to employ bureaucracies, right? The, the stepping stone, just, you know, um, there's many ministers and there's many people who have made really decent decisions by connecting with grassroots people. Uh, but once it goes up to the chain of people who are actually doing the work, well, they've been there despite government changes. They've been there for 20, 30, 40 years. And they don't really give a shit, basically, whether or not something actually changes or not. For them, it's just a job. Um, so for me, I, that's kind of, I, I don't know how you kind of mesh that part between decision makers, grassroots people, policy makers, um, to actually push envelopes to see results. Um, I think that there's a lot of discussions, you know, um, you know, and I haven't been on for two weeks, basically, because of all the COVID discussions and um, what communities are facing and, and all that stuff surrounding that. But um, you know, my answer to anything, and I'll kind of repeat what Claire says, um, you know what, uh, in my entire 43 years of life, people used to ask me, you know, Rana, who are your mentors? Who are your mentors? The whole time I was in politics, people used to ask me, well, who do you look up to? And I never had an answer other than my mom and my dad until I started working with indigenous leaders until I started working with them, until I started listening to them, until I started paying attention to what they were saying. Um, and now somebody asked me who's my mentor, I will list off every female leader in this province, uh, every grand chief, every leader, every grassroots leader, every, every, every single one, because they are brilliant. They have the knowledge that we in a million years could never ever gain, not because simply because it's their lived experience going, you know, just based on, you know, kind of uh, connecting that with Robin and, and Charlotte. It's their lived experience. They know exactly what will work. They know exactly what will not work. They know exactly um, where the holes are going to be, where the gaps are going to be. They literally have the knowledge. Frankly, whether it's to do with COVID, whether it's to do with addictions, mental mental health issues, challenges, whether it's to do any single thing, climate change, uh, employment, economic development, if you want my true answer, talk to them. Pick out every Indigenous leader in this country, get them at a table and ask them what they know, because they know way more than any of us will ever know. 
And if you don't think I'm right, try it. You failed at everything else, try it. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, my life changed when I started taking advice from people who had the authority, the knowledge, uh, the heart to give advice. And it was the right advice. So uh, I think maybe it's Canada's time. Maybe it's time for Canadians to just stop listening to, you know, you know, party partisan politics and start listening to leadership, actual leadership, because politicians are not leaders at all. They're not leaders. There are, and we have real leaders in this province. So that's my two cents about it. Um, when it comes to everything else, you know, you know, uh, you know, there's so much going on right now in the world uh, when it comes to colonialism, you know, uh, colonized states and everything else. Uh, so every time I kind of hear the word right now, I just get my back up against the wall. Like I think that most indigenous people have had to deal with for all their existence since, you know, colonial times. So um, I, I'll just say this anywhere that there there is there are colonial structures. Um, anything that is created from that colonial structure will only benefit that colonial structure. Full stop. <laughs> it's not made for the rest of us. It's only made to benefit them. Period. Full stop. Facts. <laughs> so that's my kind of take on that. And uh, yeah, but it's it's nice to see everybody. And you know, Linda and Claire and Cynthia, I kind of caught a bit of your your. I jumped on late, and Robin and Clay. Uh, just brilliant, just beautiful knowledge, and uh, people should really be listening. Is what all is all I can say. And I do feel like everyone's kind of heavy today. Can I just say that? I feel like everyone's feeling a little heavy today, and I don't know if it's just you know the weather or we're just kind of feeling it or what it is. But you know what? Like I'm giving everyone the biggest air hug right now. Uh, I love you guys. You know, love, 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 and you know it's just a gloomy day, but. Tomorrow's going to be sunny and it's going to be beautiful and we're going to take good steps tomorrow. So good words, good thoughts. So let's perk up. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> let's all get up and dance. <laughs> it's hard, right? It, it is hard. But I, is. I think that we're all feeling, and I'm feeling it too. Like I feel like we all kind of feel a little bit heavy. And I can't really pinpoint why that is particularly today, but I'm definitely yeah. feeling it for some reason. Oh, I know. Lunar eclipse. Check it out. Somebody Google this. It's actually what's happening. There. Answered everyone's questions. <laughs> that, that would explain. That would explain why I'm going a bit more crazy. Because you know, like people with mental health issues, like myself, go crazy with moons. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes that full moon. I don't know if everyone, anyone went outside yesterday, but it was beautiful. Yeah, it was gorgeous last night. But but yeah, sometimes you know these things energy things affect people so maybe that's it oh yeah or being locked down right for you know three weeks and hey yeah it'll probably yeah. be more but yeah. hey yeah no but we can still do these conversations uh, um cynthia you've been sitting there nodding and agreeing yeah. and yes yeah it i mean for the guests that don't no, I mean, so for many years, I was involved with Rainbow Resource Center. And so that was the involvement. And of course, in the last um, kind of couple of years, we started to move into looking at kind of the homeless situation. And, and that is not something a organization deals with on its own. I mean, Claire's nodding. Absolutely, right? This we have to create partnerships to deal with communities and outreach. Um, and you know, looking at kind of the harm reduction question in line with that as well. And, you know, from my my journey around the world, it, it, it's intriguing because what what I've seen is the effect of colonizers. And it doesn't matter whether it's the British colonizers or the Spanish colonizers, the world has suffered in parallel to it. So Everything that we see, everything that Winnipeg has experienced, I have seen lived out with Spanish colonization in South America. Um, clearly not here in the UK, since they were kind of the origin of the problem, um, at least, you know, for the English speaking world. And I, I look at where it's gone, you know, on other shows we've talked about, you know, the youth, the youth are hope. 
um, and we just need to step back and to hand it over. And I think this is, you know, part of the answer right now is these structures of perceived power that colonizers have brought in and created these systems, they just need to start stepping back. They need to, you know, hand it over. I, I see such differences, even in something as simple as the whole idea of provincial power structures versus national power structures between the way the UK works and and what Canada, and when we deal specifically with pandemic issues, it's like, okay, you've got people dying all over the country. You've got rules. Why is it different in the next neighborhood? Like here, there's rules. That's it. Um, and so I think when you get to community level, you need to step back. You need to put it in the hands of community and allow community to make those decisions. And, you know, I, I think that really is just parroting what, you know, Claire had said, but at the end of the day, um, you know, as Rana clearly, you know, said, they're not getting it right. They haven't got it right. And the more that I had gotten involved with it, the more I realized that um, it never will be right because you've got the wrong people working on it. Hmm. Clayton, I was going to ask you uh, to comment on Rana's comment, um, you know, and her uh, looking, her mentors are all the indigenous leaders that she's met throughout her career that have given her, I guess, like, like she said, the right advice. Okay. Well, thank you, Rhonda, for those, those comments. And I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Like I said, I spent really 40 years in government and people always kind of, kind of look at me strange when I said, when I, when I tell them sometimes the best, uh, the best, uh, probably the me the most change I, ever made in government in my 40 years was under the conservative government. And uh, probably the only reason that happened was because the two ministers that I reported to, uh, we built a relationship and became good friends. And they actually would kind of let me do whatever I wanted to do, just as long as I never got them in trouble. And they would let me lead the way. And they would basically say that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll walk beside you. We won't walk in front of you. And rarely did I ever hear a politician ever say that to me. And and so I managed to find some really good deputy ministers and like the two ministers and ADM that actually allowed me to to sort of lead the way. And I think that the last maybe 15 years, I remember people would say there's only two people in the Manitoba government that, that had that luxury was Clayton Sandy and Dan Highway. And we basically broke a lot of ceilings and and, and they did a lot of policy changes for, for, for Manitoba in the 80s and the 90s. But I, but I find that, you know, until we're able to give that opportunity. And I was asked twice to run for part for, for two different parties, but I always felt that I had too much integrity to run. I often felt that I wouldn't be able to tow a party line. So I understand that piece uh, very interesting. And and uh, I, I, for, for those people that, you know, you want to maybe look at reading some, some of them indigenous authors we have today. Uh, one of the good, one of the, a really good book to read is, uh, is a book by Martin Brokenlake. And he talks about uh, a different way of, 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 of creating your journey. Another one is Tanya Talega. And another one is, uh, the book title is 21, 21 Things You Should Know About the Indian Act. Those are really three three good books. A lot of my non-Ader friends say that they got a lot from, you know, on when they're, when they're trying to work with our community. And it's sometimes it's difficult for, for the non-Ader people to get into our community because we have to trust you first. And a lot of times... Uh, that trust takes a while to do. And so most of all the people that I worked with in my journey, we became personal friends. We built a relationship before I, I, would, I would even trust them to do anything with them because we've been burned so many times. And so I find that that's another, another piece of it. We have to build a, a real good relationship first on trust and then we move forward. So I, yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. Other than that, I think maybe that's all I can say, but I, like, like uh, Rhonda said, uh, one, one of my one of my mentors was uh, was uh, Phil Fontaine, and uh, and and he was the Grand Chief of Manitoba. Uh, when he came out on the front page of the Sun, said he was sexually abused in residential school. So that really that really energized uh, uh, many of us many of us men to actually you know start doing something about that. So that's when myself and a few other guys we started a group to 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 look at that. But it took Phil to come out on the front page to 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 energize us to basically say yeah we can. We can do something about this, but we need we need we need more mentors like that. We need more people 
around the table to help us. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Clayton. No, it's it's true. I think you know the more people share their stories, the I think we get a better understanding. And again, Cynthia, thank you. You know, acceptance without understanding. You know, following along that journey too. I'm just going to go back to uh, Linda. Uh, you know, um, yeah, again, like taking action using the social media platform, um, which I guess you know is. The easiest way, the best way, I don't, I'm not too sure, but, uh, you know, because that's your business too at, as a coach. How can we, like, start sending some messaging or, or what does the messaging look like? You know, last year when um, the Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. was so strong in the, uh, in social media, um, you know, as a person of privilege, as a white person, walking through a world that, uh, you know, recognizes that, you know, that I have more perceived power than, than other people. I learned that I needed to listen first. I, you know, I'm uh, in our culture, the default is to listen to white people. So I, uh, one of the strongest things that I was uh, made aware of was to listen and to learn. And I appreciate all those books that you mentioned, Clayton. I missed one of them. There was uh, a couple authors, but maybe if you put them in the chat, I could I could uh, uh, find those uh, books. Listen, learn, and then pass the mic you know, like that's something that you do so well, Tracy, is you pass the mic to all sorts of different people to share their stories. And I agree that sharing stories is so powerful. It is, uh, it is a political movement in itself to mm -hmm. uh, share stories that are not necessarily heard. Um, so that's something that I also became aware of. But then to also speak up, even if I was possibly afraid that I was going to get it wrong and say the wrong thing that so often people don't speak because they fear, you know, what if I get it wrong and then I'm going to be chastised or I'm going to be, um, you know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to cause any more harm. So I'll just stay silent. And that itself is also from a position of privilege. I, I get to choose whether I speak or not. And uh, so to be aware that um, that I also have to be willing to get it wrong, to get it right. I have to just keep trying uh, and keep listening, learning, passing the microphone and also speaking up and taking action. And so uh, there are some wonderful Indigenous social media influencers right now in Canada that are really powerful in the way that they are presenting their themselves and their community. And I find it to be, um, uh, you know, that's just something that I will, you know, I will share their messages, you know, that's a, something that I can do. Uh, and, you know, just to normalize and promote all the different voices in our community, I think is, is one thing that we can, we can do easily. And I really appreciate, um, Clayton, all of your, all of your insights, um, you know, I'd love, we've had this conversation before, I'd love to know what you think would motivate a young person, say a young Indigenous person to go into politics, if they, if they could, because I, I, I think you had said at the beginning about getting a seat at the table and having a voice is it's so important uh, for our, our country to have representation. What would motivate young people to to walk that path? You yourself said you were like, no, I, I, I don't think I'd be in integrity to walk that path. But I and I, I agree that I think community, uh, you know, bias for us, nothing about us without us. But I also see that there is power and money at the government level to support communities. So how can we get more people interested in, in running for office and, and taking that leadership at, you know, in that way? 
Clayton? Yeah, I think that uh, I think that our people have to have to support our own people first. I find a lot of times our people we you know we we're sort of getting we're getting out of it now that lobster McBucket sort of mentality. So that's the part that's the part that I find that that's difficult still with our community. We don't support each other, and we we rather bring each other down. So I think maybe um, like in my generation has changed with my kids. So I'm hoping that maybe the next generation you know. Uh, will go further. But we find that many of our community people that want to get involved, they don't get the support from their own community. They get support from non-native people, but it's difficult to, you know, to get the, the homegrown support. So that, that part still needs to, needs to change. But I find in, the, in my own community, Sioux Valley, uh, you know, and Chanukwa and, and Pipestone, I find that it's difficult you know, for even myself to try to make change in the community. As people just find, you know, they they they, they find all, all negative negative things to say about people, so that's a piece of it. I think I think we have to get to our people to a point where where people support our people first. Thanks. That's interesting. That there is that separation in your own community, and that yeah, and that's troublesome too, right? Yeah, Clayton, uh, Rana, do you want to comment on that on Linda's question too? How do we motivate and how do we get young people well? Yeah, I think, um, you know, and I'm just going to, I always do this and I apologize. You know, I think there needs to be a recognition that if if, if the request is um, to have voices at the table, which everyone agrees is necessary, um, you know, let's not do the token thing, right? Let's not do the token thing. Some of us have been there, done that. Um, I don't actually see a sincere desire to have that voice yet um, at all, at any level. Uh, so I think if then, if we've kind of come to the conclusion that maybe people aren't really ready to hear, you know, uh, you know, there were some incredibly strong leaders, Elijah Harper. Mm -hmm. Elijah Harper was, you know, an incredible leader who did make change, but you know, at what cost and who knows what he had gone through to, to do that, right? Like there have been incredible, Wapanu is a sitting potential premier of this province. There are people sitting at those tables. Why don't we support the ones that are there first off um, and to get the younger people involved just to kind of, you know, to speak to what Clay said. Um, you know, there's always this, this kind of, you know, expectation for traumatized people, people who've gone through colonial trauma to somehow magically within 30 or 40 years, because this trauma is still currently occurring, you know, it's not over yet, you know, every single day, there's still massive missing and murdered CFS issues, uh, over incarceration, uh, disproportionate health, the list goes on and on and on. So if we're going to ask young people to now sit in those colonial seats, Let's perhaps let's perhaps have them see changes in their own world. You know what I mean? Like let's perhaps not have them, you know, have 20 or 30 deaths a year per family. Like so there's a lot of things that should happen prior to that. But I actually, if I if I really to be honest, I think think there's incredibly um, and I'll say this like I said before, there are some very talented people around these days. There are some very talented, incredibly intelligent, uh, you know, indigenous youth, adults, elders, people who are around who are constantly, constantly trying to make change at different levels. Uh, and if we want to just go back to the homeless issue during the COVID pandemic in the midst of winter, in the dead of winter, you know, who was that? Who was that that stepped up to make sure that the homeless population of this city had tents and places to go. That wasn't government. Though that was, you know, that was a group of indigenous people who were taking care of their own because nobody else would. So I think that there just needs to be like fairness in, in what the ask actually is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that if we really want to help people, Let's maybe start speaking about missing and murdered. Let's start speaking about children being ripped out of their homes. Let's start speaking about the disproportionate health 
um, including COVID that are happening. Let's talk about all the housing overcrowdedness that people are suffering from every single day with mold. That is not self-inflicted. That is not self-inflicted stuff. That is an outside imposition in communities that has caused these issues. So um, I think that that's probably, if I was to so boldly say, perhaps we need to do that hand in hand while we're asking young people to step up. Don't make them step up if you're turning a blind eye to their people. Sorry, it's offensive and you're just wanting a token. Let's not do tokenism. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> let's, let, let's, let's not do the token thing, okay? Um, and you know, there are people in place right now. There's, um, you know, like I mentioned, WAB, uh, I think the NDP have a few sitting MLAs right now. Um, you know, Judy Clausen was a sitting MLA for a long time. Uh, you know, Tina Keeper was a sitting MLA for a long time. Uh, there's, there's people out there, you know, there's people out there and they, if they're not being held by party lines, they are speaking. Let's listen, <laughs> you know, so sorry. That's my two cents on that. Well, thank you. And I apologize if I'm blunt. I don't feel, I really feel the need to kind of tiptoe around things here. I think it's, no. uh, I think people need to be, I think people need to know, right? No, this is, yeah, yeah. no. This is all what it's there for. Claire, I'm going to let you comp do some, uh, I guess, wrap up to, uh, this is like a super informative conversation. And, you know, I, I think we have so many incredible people here today to start something. And, and Rana, you're so right. Like, we can't turn a blind eye. And I think, Claire, I guess, talking about post-pandemic again, um, you know, the situation, where do you start? What, what are the things that I think really need to be talked about and addressed now so it's not a pandemic <laughs> after? Oh, I just I want to start by just thanking everyone that was uh, this is this is so neat to just be able to have a conversation with so many, so many cool people and yeah, I was like nodding along. I was like, there are there are young Indigenous people in positions of leadership right now. It just might not be always in the colonial structure. And, you know, if we can start recognizing that there are multiple systems of governance, this is not the only system of governance. And there are people in their communities who 100% play those leadership roles. And, um, I think we are, you know, we have this opportunity that I'm so scared we're not going to take. And it's an opportunity to not go back to the normal. And, and I'm, I'm so scared that we are going to stay focused on returning to something that did not serve people. <coughs> and, and we are in this like really the, this key period where we can shift that. And so many people talked about so many different ways we... Um, that, that we do this. I mean, after, uh, yeah, I, I think that we, we have this opportunity to care for each other, to see each other as community in a way that we haven't. And I think that that really means, you know, re returning power, <laughs> returning power to people, returning power to communities, everything that people talked about, who is at the table? This, this idea of tokenizing people, has, it, it, exactly, it has to stop. We have to actually start doing things 180 degrees different. And, and that, that's how we're going to make change. After, you know, post-pandemic, I see, um, I, I just want to, I, I want to see a, a world where we're not like criminalizing poverty. People made really good points about that. People should not be criminalized for for being poor and and we do that we continue to do that and we continue to say that it's that person's fault and that person's responsibility and we know it isn't so i think yeah just you know returning power to community um if we can do and i don't i don't have a step guide for that obviously <laughs> everybody's thinking about that but um yeah to, to uh that's what that's what I hope for. I hope post-pandemic world does not return to to normal because normal did not work for people. We got to be doing things 180 degrees different. Wow. Okay. So on this heavy Tuesday, <laughs> I see a lot of clapping. <laughs> oh my goodness. There's just uh, a lot of still a lot of work to be done. Um, 
Yeah, uh, Claire, I, I would like to extend the invitation to these young indigenous leaders to meet them and to hear their stories and to maybe, you know, bring some people from your community, from Point Douglas, and, and let them share on this platform. Uh, you know, we do a show called Healing Hearts with Clayton, and the conversations that we've had have truly been amazing. And, and these conversations, too. Rana, you know, she's been since the get-go, and this was, our, this was our dream, right, is to talk openly and to share each other's stories. Uh, so let's start it right here. I'm extending the invitation right now and to start the conversation so I will email you Claire and we will <laughs> well we'll organize something because it's I love uh, that thank you for thank you for that invitation I, I'll start a list okay okay <laughs> I'm holding you to that <laughs> well it's been so great I, I hope uh, the mood is lifted a little bit although the conversation has been pretty heavy but I just want to thank all of you for uh, for joining in I see a smile on Robin's face so my day is complete okay thank you so much everyone have a wonderful rest of the Tuesday and we'll see you next week thank you so much Clayton for joining us too <laughs> bye bye Hi. For listening. This has been a production of iLikeQ.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at Let's Take This Outside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.